government church violations just burn me, <laughs> get really aggravated. And I don't know if my little voice can help at all, but um, I'm going to see if I can join in. My name is Nancy Jusis. I live in Kenosha. I've been here about 27 years. I don't know at what point I recognized that I was an atheist, but I think it had been building like since childhood. Um, religion was never particularly a part of my life, although we, you know, went to church and believed. And at some point it dawned on me that it was all made up. And so when that light bulb went on, I guess an atheist was born. There is no God. Then why are we whispering? Stand by to receive our transmission. Logic clearly dictates. If you're an atheist, scream atheist! I mean, but what is an atheist? I don't know. An atheist is someone who doesn't quite believe that there is somebody out there, some god out there. Well, then to me, you're an idiot. From beautiful downtown in Philadelphia, in the state of apostasy, it's the Atheist Underground. Your love of the halfling's leaf has clearly slowed your mind. Welcome to the Underground. Next stop, Humanistopolis. Humanistopolis is next. Welcome back to the Atheist Underground, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Humanistopolis. That's right, Humanistopolis this time. Sounds Greek, right? Uh, no, no, actually not Greek, Just uh, it's just made up, <clears throat> really, like the rest of the stops. In the Philadelphia metropolitan area where we do our thing. Thanks to Nancy Juices up front. I'm going to do more of those, I think. That was really cool, and uh, she had balls coming out of the closet. She finally had enough when she saw the school story. Uh, and I'll talk about that in a little bit for folks who don't know. Uh, but thanks, Nancy, uh, for doing that, for uh, uh, joining the movement in the wake of uh, what you saw in the news there that offended and, and upset you uh, rightfully, as it does uh, any right-thinking American, any patriot, and anyone who cares about true freedom of religion. We have Joe Human himself, Joe Magestro of the Milwaukee Magestros with us today to talk about his new effort, the Milwaukee Humanists and AHA chapter, opening up in Milwaukee soon and debuting with the Brew City Benefit. A lot of big names coming. We have a Weather Jesus report from Salt Lake City, heart of the Mormon Empire. Part two of the penis story, finally coming out. And as always, the atheist news and events. Well, it's been a month. Um, for me, a little bit behind. Uh, my daughter was in a car crash. And then uh, the school thing broke, so uh, it took up a little bit of my time this month with uh, real, you know, human uh, stories. And uh, it, uh, I'm trying to relate this episode to humanism a little bit. I kind of thought about what I've been through this last month and 
couple of things stood out. Uh, the daughter was was almost killed when she was T-boned in the back seat of a Cadillac, and uh, she wasn't, as it turns out, really gravely injured at all. But it was scary, and she could have easily uh, have been, have perished if things had been a little bit different, or uh, if the car had been made a lot earlier in time, because a lot of people said. You know, thank God, and a lot of people, that's an expression to a lot of people, but a lot of people, you know, they honestly feel, you know, thank God God was looking out for, for your daughter. And my initial reaction always to those kinds of things is, uh, no, no, thank uh, thank Cadillac, quite frankly, for the, the modern safety features and thank the, the driver for buying that car. And what this amounts to is a, is a human solution to a human problem. People were dying in car crashes that, uh, you know, took a, a direct hit to the side where, where you sat forward-thinking car companies solve that problem with a, a human engineering solution in a car and they were rewarded quite naturally in a capitalistic way and that's what america what makes america great right ingenuity uh, resourcefulness and capitalism and opportunity and uh those things still live and you know this is evidence of it so let's thank who deserves to be thanked for uh, situations like this when they arise because if this car crash had happened in the exact same manner in the 60s, uh, you know, they, we'd have lost her. She'd be dead, and if it had happened in a different car, nowadays uh, she might have died. So humanism is about finding human solutions with evidence-based answers and human to human problems that affect all humans. Uh, that's really what it's about. And even if you believe in God, what happens good to you is still the result of humanistic efforts. A doctor who discovered a vaccine or a modern medical technique uh, that didn't exist years ago. Anything you can think of, really, that has extended our lifespan beyond 40, 45 years in this raw wilderness uh, we find ourselves is due, in fact, to human technology and humanistic answers to the problems that we all face. Religion and God had nothing to do with any of it. And if you believe that it did, that's that's your issue. But realistically, humanism is all we have anyway, any of us. The school thing. If you didn't notice the school thing, you need to go to uh, YouTube and just Google Kenosha Atheist Father. It'll pop right up. I made the news in Milwaukee when, uh, you know, my kid's school refused to take down overtly religious stuff. It wasn't just this and that and the cross here and there. Or, you know, God bless America, the crap that we all put up with all the time. It was like an uh, over-the-top attempt, quite honestly, to proselytize uh, to a captive audience of nine-year-olds. And these are enrichment kids. That's like an advanced placement program here. In the Kenosha School District, they, they call it enrichment. Uh, it kills me because, uh, of course, you know, and, and we all know that religion is not enriching. It's, in fact, impoverishing. And uh, there was no, you know, science on the wall. There was no evolution, no geology. It was all Bible, 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 this, that, uh, morality lessons, how to be a better person through vices and virtues, posters from Galatians. Uh, it was just, it was all this morality from a, hum from a Christian viewpoint. Uh, and when I saw it all together, it was just too much. So, you know, I, I, I got vocal about it, and I'm suffering the human consequences of my, uh, my humanist action. Um, you know, it's, it's tough to stand up for this crap, and there's a reason that people don't. It's, it's because they get a backlash, and they, you know, I got hate mail in almost instantly. I got some hate mail. Uh, most of the people don't get it. They just don't think that it's really harmful, uh, not to mention illegal and unconstitutional and unethical, but they don't get the harm because they were raised in it, and Jesus is okay, you know. 
Jesus is just alright with me. You know, and he is, but, you know, not in the classroom, not in the public school classroom. So, you know, when it started to look like, uh, you know, sometimes an evangelist can't put aside their call to evangelize, and they, they actually think that they're going to go to hell if they'd stop evangelizing for a minute. You know, and they and they might have saved a kid that day that they, they didn't because they, they kept their uh, Jesus to themselves, uh, which is, in fact, a requirement of your job if you work for the, the, the state uh, or the city or, or the, the, the federal government. You can't do it. You can't put your religion out there. And this is what uh, was going on. And, in fact, it's been going on for decades in Kenosha, and that is... Uh, reflected in the comments of uh, the folks who don't see the harm. They were raised uh, to, to think that it was okay. So you can't, I can't even really blame them. They're, they've been miseducated like most of the uh, country is, like most of middle America is now completely miseducated, undereducated, uh, lied to, <laughs> bamboozled, uh, sold a bill of goods. You know, when we, when we start letting a little brand of Christianity in, to the school, we open the door to the government shutting out other brands of Christianity. That's what these Christians don't get: is each of them is an is an individual sect, a cult, really, uh, of of interpretation of the New Testament, and they don't want the the guy down the street at the Methodist church telling telling them what to do at the Presbyterian church. That's what freedom of religion is. And as soon as you start letting that door open a little bit, so that the government can kind of excuse some. Christianity, then all of a sudden it's her church that's on the line, and 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 they're coming to lock the doors uh, and tell you that you can't uh, uh, practice that brand. So, uh, you know, I'm not going to put up with it. Uh, plenty of people have stepped up and said thank you for doing what you do, uh, and and shining a light on this uh, story uh, because I know that they're out there. The Buddhists, the Sikhs, who worry that their temple is going to get shot up again in Oak Creek by some moron redneck punk who doesn't know the difference between a Muslim and a Sikh. Talk about undereducated. A long-time atheist, and he's only 25, 26, formerly the president of the Secular Student Alliance at Whitewater here in Wisconsin. At the tender age of 18 or 19, you know, he was out there doing it, you know, when the rest of us were partying and, you know, screwing up. Uh, this dude was already an activist. Please welcome our guy, Joe Magestro. Thank you very much. It's good to be here. So uh, to start off with, let's uh, go right to the obvious, Joe. What the hell is humanism? Yeah, I think the idea is... Humanism, at the end of the day, is the onus is on us to make the world a better place. There is no supernatural thing out there that's going to do it for us, so it's up to us to do something about it. And what are you trying to do about it? Um, so long story short, we are starting a brand new Milwaukee humanist organization um, intended to both be a social area for people who are humanists or you know both secular or theistic, just to either find people of like-minded values who want to help the community become a better place overall. Also, we're starting the new Brew City Benefit, which will be taking place on April 7th. So far, we have Seth Andrews of The Thinking Atheist, Aaron Raw, Lalandra Raw, um, also Thomas Smith, Callie Wright of The Gatheist Manifesto, um, Jason Love, who will be talking about autism awareness, um, and then we'll have a couple of musical guests as well, so I think it would be really cool. You guys have set up a website, www.mkehumanists.com, www.mkehumanists.com, slash Brew City Benefit, or just hit the tab, and you can purchase tickets. What else uh, is is going on with that? 
There's also the Milwaukee Humanist um, Facebook page at MKE Humanists. There's also our Twitter for the same um, profile tag, as well as the Brew City Benefit Facebook page. Now, you and I have been around this for several years together, and and we know what's going on with the 50 or 100 atheists in the area. Um, Why the need for a humanist org now on top of the four or five other secular organizations that we sure so um name. i mean after the events that transpired you know we, we can say i don't mind at MythCon, you know um there was a huge rift that happened within the secular community of milwaukee a lot of the people were kind of sick and tired of being labeled as just atheists and just skeptics because that didn't describe them for who they were and the values that they attained so the idea of having a humanist group is to um basically gather those same people who yes we are secular um but we do also want to have a our positive impact on the community that's the whole idea of it you, know, you can be an atheist anyone want that doesn't mean you're not an asshole <laughs> you know so we want to have it where do you want to actually do something for community or do you just want to refute god all day long now for those who do want to do that that's totally fine and i respect those people um it's just we're trying to pertain to also having a good, positive community at the same time. Why is there a backlash against social justice? What what the hell is it that offends the conservative faction of the movement about that? I, can you explain that to me? I think it's because they have a very strong sense of individualism. The idea that um, whatever they do, the onus was on them. Almost kind of like a, from an existential point of view where there really aren't that many determining factors. It's you who makes the world go round at the end of the day. It's your choices. It's your actions. You do that. And my actions would not be defined by the actions of someone else. I think when we talk about social justice, we talk about things like, well, like they like to say identity politics. You know, the idea of black people want justice for, you know, um, we'll say police brutality against them all throughout the country. And the idea of saying Black Lives Matter is very controversial to those types of people because saying Black Lives Matter is immediately becoming a collectivist idea to them. It's not talking about, well, this black person is an individual. You're saying black people in general. I think that's why they find it so offensive. Now, I think they're wrong about it. I think that there are these types of groups and categorizations that we do end up falling into at the end of the day. But that doesn't mean we can't be individuals. I don't know how their inclusion threatens the movement at large. I just don't get it. When you know, when Sargon gripes, uh, it's not the movement to me. It's like a peanut gallery guy going, eh. "We are all in this for everybody's civil rights, and if we can't include everyone, or at least make them feel included, and not insulted, offended, endangered at the events, then then you got to rethink it." Correct. I think it's also people. N- constantly reacting to the most negative aspects of it that's why a lot of people aren't really attached to the name atheist as much as before where it was supposed to be a unifying word amongst us the idea that one can be an atheist but not also a humanist or you know whatever it may be and i've had people who have proudly said that to me where i say i am an atheist but i am not a humanist so i think that little bit of pride in saying you can't tell me what to do also affects their reasoning with it where, you know, if someone comes in and says, if you're an atheist, you have to believe this way. That immediately sets them off. Well, you know, there's a little dogma, like a, like a puppy. Ma. There's a little dogma uh, to humanism. And I think that rankles skeptics in general. Uh, 
So, you know, but we've done a good job working together. But, you know, is there a real solution to that to that problem? I I don't know, unfortunately. I think I think human it's hard to have a bad impact of humanism. It's really hard to think of an actual negative aspect of humanism. It's just saying it's up to us to make the world a better place. That's all it is. Now tell us who's going to benefit from the Brew City benefit. Sure. Um, the biggest, first and foremost, when it comes to the Brew City benefit is what the purpose of it is. The vast majority of this um, conference, at least the proceeds of it after we raise it for the initial cost, will end up going to RAIN, which is the um, Rape, Abuse, Incest National Network. The idea of this conference is supposed to be an impact on those who have suffered sexual abuse um, and really helping them either with the hotline that RAIN is producing or just with having RAIN reach into more areas in the Milwaukee area. Awesome. Joe, thanks for joining us. Uh, you need to choose a nickname. Uh, the nominees are... The Magistrate, my favorite, because his name's Majestro, get it? The Majestic One, Jumpin' Joe Majestro, Joey Sticks, because he's a drummer, see? Shoeless Joe, too close to Chicago to leave it out. If your name's Joe, you might be Shoeless Joe. Smokey Joe, I'm a Red Sox fan. No one throws hotter than Smokey Joe would, my friend. And I think that's uh, that's all I got. Which one do you like, man? You know, I got to go with Smokey Joe so far. Say what? <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, for those of you who don't know Joe, he has never actually smoked anything in his life. <laughs> Smokey Joe Majestro, thanks for coming down, man. Good luck with the benefit. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Once again, that is www.mkehumanists.com slash benefit. And we've learned that the first couple of free thought themselves... Dan Barker and Annie Laurie Gaylor from FFRF will be in attendance. Brew City Benefit, get a ticket today. Stormy Joe with a Weather Jesus update from Salt Lake City. Thanks, Rob. I'm in downtown Salt Lake City in Temple Square, the center of the Mormon Church. I'm here to find out whether Jesus has been seen. With me is Sister Madison, serving her mission here and hailing from Rexburg, Idaho. Hi! It's so nice to be on your show. I would love to share my testimony. That isn't necessary, Ms. Madison. Please, Stormy, call me sister. How are you enjoying your visit here? Okay, sister, it's been good. Everyone has been nice. Now, can you tell me whether Jesus has returned in Salt Lake City? Oh, heavens, our Lord and Savior! Latter-day Revelation revealed to Joseph Smith in 1832 teaches us that Zion, the New Jerusalem, will be built upon the American continent. In Doctrine and Covenants 84, verses 2 through 3, the Lord reveals, Yea, the word of the Lord concerning his church, established in the last days for the restoration of his people, as he has spoken by the mouth of his prophets and for the gathering of his saints to stand upon Mount Zion, which shall be the city of New Jerusalem, which city shall be built, beginning at the temple lot, which is appointed by the finger of the Lord in the western boundaries of the state of Missouri. So why are we in Utah? I don't, I don't know. I'm not good with boundaries. Has Christ been seen in Salt Lake City? 
Is he expected to make an appearance here? I don't know. Sister Bridget's in charge of scheduling. And what's up with that Jesus statue that appears in the visitor center? You've taken the tour. That makes me so happy. Isn't that statue of Heavenly Father breathtaking? It's 11 feet tall and weighs 12,000 pounds. I had some time to kill before our interview. You should also tour the Beehive House. It was built in 1854 and was Prophet Brigham Young's home. Thank you for the suggestion, sister, but I have to get back to AU headquarters. Can you please just tell me the weather? Why, it's always sunny in Zion. We bask in the radiance of Heavenly Father. And what's your hurry? Sister Jones is planning a cookie exchange gathering at the Steak Center in Draper, and it's going to be so much fun. Did you say cookies? I love cookies. I make a great chocolate chip and pecan cookie. We would love to try it. It starts at 7 this evening. We will have at least 10 different kinds of cookies and plenty of juice. I'll grab the ingredients. Can I borrow someone's kitchen? The Steak Center has a kitchen you can use. Sister Rigby will be there at 4. She can show you. Yay, sister! Uh, um, can we get a weather Jesus report from somebody in Mormonville, please? Rob, once again, no sign of Jesus here. And it might be sunny right now, but it'll be raining cookies tonight. Woo! This is Stormy Joe reporting for AU's Weather Jesus. We're gonna make some cookies. We're gonna make some cookies. Conga line sister. Ooh, we're gonna make some cookies. We're gonna make some cookies. Oh my god. Last time in Mythosystopia, we talked about the history and the myths surrounding the practice of circumcision that led to its ubiquity in America. For generations now, people consider penises hard to care for, that uh, boys who are not circumcised will get infections, and that they need constant cleaning, and you have to retract them for bathing, and you, all these worries. And all of these are just myths. And we gained some insight as to why the practice persists today. It's become such a cultural norm that people just think that it is what you do. The medical community has done such a marvelous job historically of putting fear into young parents. Money definitely plays a role. More so than that, though, is that our medical community, you know, is susceptible to cultural conditioning and they believe the same myths that, you know, your average Joe believed. We talked about the missing pieces of knowledge. The anatomy has actually been lost. I mean, I have not talked to a single medical student in recent years who was taught anything about protecting this membrane or the natural history of a boy who's intact and left alone. A lot of people um, in America believe that the head of the penis and all the way down to that scar is uh, skin. It's not skin. It's mucous membrane, and it's supposed to be like the inside of your mouth. It's supposed to be wet. When that dries out, you lose a lot of sensation. We also met some of the intactivists who have faith in humanity, given the correct information, to do the right thing. Parents aren't 
mean people generally. <laughs> Parents don't want to hurt their children. And are fighting to regain and redistribute that basic knowledge of human anatomy. It's absolutely devastating to even have to explain this, that American women and American men don't know, that American boys don't know that part of their body has been removed. At today's stop in Humanistopolis, we'll hear the individual perspectives on what these intactivists consider to be an obvious human rights violation. You're doing an unnecessary procedure on a two-day-old baby, and you don't know that that's what that baby would choose for themselves. It's not the family penis, it's your son's penis. Like, it's not even yours. Of course, we know a baby would never say, yes, please cut my genitals. It's unethical to cut perfectly healthy parts. It's just bizarre. Leave it alone. It's not the, It's not yours. Just don't touch it. It's just madness all around it. I, I found over and over anyone that doesn't have a problem with their circumcision truly just has no idea what was taken from them. Because if you do, there's no other way to feel about it than to be furious. Oppression. Abuse. Injustice. Hate. Incest. Pedophilia. This is Atheist Underground's Third Rail. A high-voltage look at today's most electrifying subjects. Timely talk. On Taboo Topics. Taboo Taboo Topics. On this episode, Missing Pieces. Circumcision in America. Part 2. The Head. Don't cut other people's penises. Sunny is a volunteer at Your Whole Baby and represents a new generation of mothers in America. Well-informed, empathetic nonconformists who wouldn't dream of altering their child's body for the sake of tradition. Emilia is much the same. I just get angry when people say this is the way it's been done so you have to do it we force our kids to do stuff that's that's with their bodies that that has nothing to do with with us the intactivists see this largely as an individual freedom issue for an unconsenting minor and decry the egocentric tendency for many adults to project a subjective superfluous aesthetic on their children oh you need to cut his hair well it's not my hair and he doesn't want to cut so i'm not going to cut it I, I'm estranged from my family, from one side of my family, because of this. The topic came up briefly with a sister of mine who has three boys. She informed me that it was a cosmetic and elective surgery. And I, it just kind of blew my mind that if it was cosmetic and elective, why her three sons would be cosmetically altered. Like a lot of modern parents, Sunny is more frank with her youngster about practical body issues than previous generations. When I told him what we were doing or what I was doing, he just said, no, you need to keep the skin on. I explained it to him. He understood it. Kids understand it. It's their body. Don't cut it up, you know. When you're nursing your baby when he's first born and he's um, removed from your breast to go get cut. I mean. The baby is brought back to the procedure room. 
Dr. Pradeep Kumar, a pediatrician who performs circumcisions, explains what happens next. We strap the baby into the table so that the hands and feet are not coming into the area as we do the circumcision. Clean the area, use a local local anesthetic. Uh, We infiltrate uh, anesthesia towards the the nerve that uh, supplies the penis so that the area is numb. Then uh, clean the area, you know, separate the skin and I use a instrument called the gomco, which is um, a metal plate with a bell. So the bell covers the head of the penis and fits within the plate. And then you can use a scalpel around the plate to cut the excess skin off. Obviously after you um, apply enough pressure so that the bleeding is minimized at that point. Oddly enough, it's often the vagina doc who operates on the penis. Usually the OBGYNs uh, end up doing most of the circumcisions in the hospital. And then if the kids are older, the urologists uh, might get involved at that point. You have to remember, this is an unregulated practice. Doc spokesman John Geisiker. You don't need a medical license to circumcise a child. It's probably helpful. I mean, the medical students who do it, it's sometimes the very first surgery they've ever done. The training is usually watch one, do one, teach one, maybe 15 minutes of training maximum, half an hour perhaps at the far, far end. During our training, we do have to perform uh, the procedures initially under supervision, then our own uh, before you are certified to actually do circumcision. When does it generally happen? So not right after birth. They usually end up waiting 24 hours. The patients are in the hospital, and then before discharge, the circumcision gets done. Our young parents, with no medical training and exhausted and excited from their experience, qualified to make this medical decision? Initially, I mean, obviously you talk to the parents about the risks and the the benefits uh, of the circumcision, uh, get the consent done. Of course, every doctor has their own bedside manner and medical opinion. So what does the AAP officially recommend? Um, So they, they still say risk outweigh the benefits, but do not recommend universal circumcision. It is, in a way, uh, slightly ambiguous. Because really, I mean, when you look at the data, as far as um, hygiene, um, the cancer risks, the um, I mean, the HIV transmission, there is, uh, there's an argument for that. Um, there definitely is ways that an uncircumcised penis could avoid those risks, too. Ultimately, it's left up to new parents to make this choice. At that point, it's more of a... Um, choice. If the parents choose to get the circumcision done, they, the parents trust the surgeon to do the circumcisions. This is something that not only was I coerced you know, by a doctor, but I feel like was kind of forced upon. Elise Wickland tells of a vastly different experience. And I just immediately jumped into activism because it was really all I had, because I felt like what power I had, you know, to keep my son safe was gone. So all I could do was talk about it and just try to help other families not, not feel what we feel. Unlike Sonny and Amalia, Elise became foreskin educated after choosing circumcision. Her son was not circumcised at birth and she describes a harrowing month of uncertainty amid pressures from family and physician. She's what's known as a regret mom. Uh, being a regret family encompasses so much our son was born December 12th. 
2015 and um, he was perfect there was nothing wrong he peed for a month had no problems no complications nothing looked strange he, you know it didn't seem weird to me he didn't look different um, and we went you know for his first pediatrician appointment and the doctor said you know do, do, do you plan to circumcise and I remember looking at him and saying yeah I think so Cause, you know that was just kind of what you did you know my husband was or is I mean he was um, and uh, I didn't really know any different and as the appointment came time it was close to a month old I just started getting a really really bad sick feeling in my stomach and um, so I went for an appointment because he was having some stomach problems and talked to the doctor and said you know I feel really bad about this this doesn't feel right I don't know why and he said no no if you don't do this he's gonna have all these problems complications at one point he actually said we didn't circumcise our son and he's had so many problems so save your son from that and um, so crying in his office you know he said and, and we do it really gentle and da, da 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 and we play this nice music and all this stuff and so we left and I came home and talked to my husband who was pretty you know pro and he, we were like oh okay and um, so drive him to the doctor that day I've got a sick feeling in my stomach sign the paper hand him over feel like I want to totally throw up and when they bring him back He's screaming hysterically. I can't console him. Nobody can console him. The nurse takes him from me and says, Paxton, why are you so upset? Everything's okay. You're fine. You're making your mom upset. Earlier access to knowledge, Elise is certain, would have led her to make a different decision. So many things stepped in the way that would have prevented me from doing it had I seen them. I just think that the cultural conditioning and social stigma. She also explains why moms often steer the course of change more than dads. I think it was easier for me to see the facts and say, oh my God, this hurts men. But it's harder for somebody who's been hurt to look at the facts and say, oh my gosh, I've been hurt. I hurt my child. You know, this is not right. Forty years of my life, I thought something was correct that isn't. I have a scar. I mean, at one point I said, do you know, do you have a scar? And he's like, what are you talking about? So to find out, you know, that I know a lot of men don't even know if they are circumcised or not or if they have a scar. And it's amazing what I've been exposed to in the intactivist community, talking to men and talking to moms, moms that are in the same situation that I am, where their in-laws or their husbands or their parents are pressuring them, you know, to make decisions about their son's genitals when it's not their place. Elise describes further repercussions of her decision. My husband and I had substantial marital problems. I was diagnosed with PTSD. I have awful triggers from baths with my son, changing his diaper, um, seeing clothes that he wore. I've thrown away many clothes that he had on around the time that the procedure happened. And she worries about the inevitable talk with her son. The conversation replays in my mind all the time. What I'm going to say and how I'm going to say it and how stupid I'm going to feel. Um, and I always say to my husband, I say, how can we tell him not to worry about what other people think about him and not to worry about those things when like the definition of what other people thought about him is why he has a scar on his penis. I have a associate's degree in molecular biology and a certificate in human stem cell technology and I'm currently working on a finishing up my bachelor's in biology and um, I believe that male circumcision needs to be stopped. Jordan is one of a growing group of younger males, upset primarily by a personal invasion and the loss of sexual sensitivity. I began to realize that there was really no benefit to it, and not only that, that 
I had been sexually assaulted as an infant. And that's exactly what it was. It's a sexual assault on a child. He not only felt assaulted, but also robbed. Learning that it could have robbed me from anywhere from, at the very least, to 25 to 75% of my feeling, um, by some estimates, um, I was pretty upset. And I have to say, I still am. <laughs> I think that there's a, I think there is a large amount of feeling that is lost, and I think it's the finer nuances. There's no way that you can cut off a quarter of the the nerve endings on the penis and not expect to radically change um, the sensation. What we're finding now that the most sensitive area on the circumcised penis is not the head of the penis; it's actually the scar. So. That just goes to show you that's how sensitive the foreskin is, that the, once the penis is circumcised, the most sensitive area on the penis that's left is the remnant scar. It's not just the nerves that are lost, but physiological functionality. The foreskin actually acts as like a sleeve that the, the head of the penis rolls in and out of. And so that in itself is very pleasurable for the man, that feeling but also it's for the receptive partner, um, it's a lot less friction. Jordan's research has led him to openly question what appears to be a serious ethical double standard. What is medical ethics? What is the difference between male and female circumcision? Um, you know, those kinds of things. And examining, you know, how female circumcision is treated in the cultures that accept it um, versus how it's treated here, I began to realize we say all the same things. We justify it all the exact ways. We say it's cleaner. We say it looks better. We say they've got to conform to the culture or they're not going to find another mate, yada, yada, yada. They'll be teased. Uh, you know, the, the religious reason, a whole nine yards. We, we, they say every single one of them. And when I saw that, it really became quite difficult to defend as a practice. According to our own medical ethics, um, and this is actually why we don't allow it to be done on women. It's the issue of consent. But yet we don't give a damn about a young boy's consent. Or actually, I would like to expand this. Or about the inner sex, about their level to consent. The only people in this country that seem to have any sort of protection from having their genitals altered is cisgender women. If you're born intersex in this country, they have no problem going in and, mo and modifying your genitals to suit their whims. There's no protection for those people, and they have no recourse when it turns out ugly. And to think that this goes on, and to think that we have doctors that will look you in the eye and believe that they have not broken their Hippocratic Oath to me is just unbelievable. Himself a product of a steady sexual awakening in America taking place since the 60s, Jordan is more apt to blame Big Pharma for the practice's persistence. I think it's a mixture of several things. I think you see, first of all, doctors that are just coming from this culture that think that it's normal, that it was done to them. I think there are a whole bunch of industries that also benefit from um, circumcision being done and the damage it performs. I think, first of all, the doctor themselves benefits when they get to charge for the procedure. There's a whole number of companies that produce just things for this procedure. On top of that, due to the sexual problems that it creates, I think we it, we see a lot more 
medications like for erectile dysfunction. And I think also lubrications, I think, are a big thing that we see a lot more of. The foreskin itself, in fact, has become big biz. Ryan Lewis explains. There is this huge market that has sprung up around foreskins in America. You can look them up right now uh, online uh, to see uh, what uh, what they're going for, but they go for usually anywhere from $400, $700, up to $900. Those get sold to um, cosmetic companies. They get sold to research laboratories. They get sold to burn units. He doesn't, however, downplay the religious component. Americans tend to be tied to their puritanical roots a little bit more than I think we should be at this point, um, and that slows the message getting out. I think that actually that we have a, a culture that's very obsessed with people's genitalia still um, to the level that we see to cut and modify anyone's genitalia that doesn't look like what we think it should. The only person who should have the right to decide whether you have that level of sensation is the person themselves. No one, not even the parent, is fit to make that choice for another individual. If they want to surgically modify their bodies and modify their genitals in any way, that's a decision that should be left up to them when they're of age to make such a decision. Ryan tells his story and wishes his mom would have given him that choice. I was, I was eight years old. My mom was watching uh, something on TV. Actually, I think it was a televangelist, and they were talking about um, uh, Jesus' circumcision. And I remember I asked her, I was like, what is that word? And uh, she said, well, that's when they remove some extra skin from a baby's penis. And, and I remember I felt kind of nauseous just at the thought of that. And I was like, oh, wow, I'm glad you didn't do that to me. And she said, well, actually, we did. I got really upset and I got flushed and I had to leave the room for a little bit. And I remember, uh, um, you know, having a little bit of a, a as much of a panic attack as an eight-year-old could have just at the thought that that had been done to me. And, and I've really been opposed to the, the idea of it ever since. I remember feeling growing up, uh, especially once I knew that something like that had been done to me, feeling very violated, feeling like I was missing something that I should have. And I started to realize that I had in fact lost something that I should have and something that uh, would have benefited me greatly. He points out that often it's not till men get older do they realize something's wrong. What I have observed is that in America, uh, especially among my generation, circumcision is so commonplace that oftentimes the problems associated with not having a foreskin, um, so losing sensitivity being one of them, are so common that a lot of men just associate that as a normal part of aging, and it really is not. When you're talking to a lot of people in America about circumcision, it's too late. It's already it's already been done to them, or worse yet, it's been done to them, and now they've done it to their kids. And so you have to get someone to admit not only that they were wrong, but that they were wrong. Something horrible happened to them. They've been violated in some way. And in many cases, something horrible happened to them, and they also did that to their kids. So that's a really big hurdle to jump, and the the defense mechanisms that immediately spring to life when you start presenting somebody with facts contrary to what they believe around um, things that have happened to their genitals or things that they've done to the genitals of their kids are pretty extraordinary. Will the steady rise in secularity in America be able to counter the phenomenon? 
just from my experience, people who are secular also tend to question things a little bit more, and they're more willing to question the norm. And that's really what it's going to take in order to end this practice in America is just stopping and saying, well, why do we do this? Jen Williams wonders the same thing. Literally, babies die from this procedure. Uh, there are some. It's very difficult to get fatality statistics. So the the commonly accepted fatality statistic is it's about 100 to 120 babies die every year. When a baby dies from a circumcision, the cause of death could be circumcision. It could be hemorrhaging. It could be any number of different uh, other side effects that were caused or that were the result of the circumcision. And so we really don't know. Of course, if it's not death, it's a side effect. The side effects for newborns, the side effects for adult men. So cons with, as with any surgery, I mean, bleeding, if there's any family uh, issues with uh, bleeding disorders, you need to be aware of those. Um, when you cut off, you could, ex you could remove insufficient skin, you could remove excess skin. Um, you could actually damage the penis depending on what kind of instrument you use. There's a risk for actual injury to the penis itself. Uh, and then as it heals, sometimes you can heal with the scar tissue. So there, there are those risks. They are minimal, but the risks are there. They can cut too much. Uh, infants can bleed to death. It doesn't take a lot of blood uh, for an infant to bleed to death. Doctors don't know how big a penis is going to grow on an infant. If they remove too much, they may not have enough skin to actually cover their penis. And that can cause uh, painful erections, that can cause painful intercourse, that can cause bleeding around the circumcision scar line, um, that can also cause a disfigured penis, that can cause bend, uh, a bend in the penis. You're not supposed to be able, you're not supposed to have to shave your penis, you're not supposed to have hair on your penis. That's a side effect of circumcision. Another very common side effect um, that requires follow-up surgery is called medial stenosis. Because the penis is exposed all the time, um, the urethra starts to develop scar tissue over it and closes. The Danish medical community, they're actively trying to get circumcision outlawed. Elise points out these side effects cross lines of both gender and generation. The dry, circumcised penis pulls the moisture out of a woman during intercourse. My whole life, I thought there was something wrong with me or that sex was supposed to be painful. Um, you know, or in my mind, I thought, oh, maybe am I just not in the, in the mood? Like, am I not aroused enough? But really, it had nothing to do with me at all. It had to do with the choices that, you know, my sexual partner's parents made for them without their consent. Oh, my gosh, like, I just made a choice for my son's wife. And just as with fatalities, true stats on complications are very hard to come by. The answer is we don't know. Even the American Academy of Pediatrics in their 2012 sta statement freely admitted that the incidence of, of uh, a poor result or a complication are simply unknown. Hospitals are reluctant to record a botch as a botch. If a child is circumcised and botched in a private clinic, it doesn't even make the statistics. There is no national registry. There's no requirement that a child who's botched gets some sort of free medical care. So we, the fact of the matter is we just don't know poor teenage boy who eventually figures out what happened to him, uh, you know, when he's old enough to understand, is suffers in silence in his room. He's, you know, his parents are maybe not even aware of what happened to him or what the result has been. So is there any way at all to estimate the numbers? The standard statistic is that a urology clinic spends one day a week doing 
botched circumcision repairs, usually Friday. So figure it out. That's one-fifth of a, a urologist's practice. It's basically an operation that was intended to diminish the organ. It was not intended to enhance it. George Denniston, the president of DOC, and as you know, a physician, says 100% of circumcisions are botched. <laughs> you just type in botched circumcision and you just, just make sure you, you're not on image search when you do that, because that's pretty traumatic. In terms of education, modern moms like Emily have a distinct advantage over parents of the past. You know, I did what mothers do and I uh, just overread the internet looking for best case and worst case scenarios. Best case, there really is no best case. The worst case scenario is actually a guy, it destroyed his penis entirely. And uh, the doctor's like, that's okay, we'll turn him into a girl. I didn't want that to happen, to accidentally uh, ruin my son's penis. I didn't want to do it. And I think I just made, I made my husband go along with it. She and others like Sonny and Jen are changing the way we think about an ancient practice that for generations went unchallenged. My son uh, has all of his body. I didn't even consider it for a moment. My son will be three next month, and obviously he has his foreskin, and it has not killed him yet. I'm very happy to leave his little penis alone the way it was when nature made him. Next time, on the conclusion of Missing Pieces, we'll look at the American Medical Establishment's official position. The American Academy of Pediatrics is kind of the broker of the practice, and they have very conveniently over the years tried not to come down dogmatically one way or the other. And the convoluted healthcare web that keeps the practice alive. We're 50 different states with 50 different medical societies and different boards of health, etc. We'll examine the options for victims of male genital mutilation. They are working to actually create laboratory-generated human foreskin. And we'll talk about the trending numbers, present and future. The practice is slowly receding. Yeah, I feel like the rates have dropped. My personal experience, so from just doing circumcisions, I have had more discussions with parents about whether we're doing a circumcision or not. Before it was almost a foregone conclusion that everybody got circumcisions. Now there is more of a discussion and there are times when people opt against circumcision at this point. now with Secular News and Events is Jojo Vandescoop. The Freedom From Religion Foundation and the media watchdog group Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington are suing the Department of Housing and Urban Development for denying their multiple Freedom of Information Act requests. The FOIA requests sought more information about Dr. Ben Carson's involvement in weekly Bible sessions held at the White House, as well as his schedule for an appearance at an event held at the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. 
The FOIA requests from Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington sought information regarding Dr. Ben Carson's wife and son and their roles at the agency, as well as his use of a private plane for travel purposes. The lawsuit was filed in the U.S. District Court for the District of Columbia. A 2017 Pew Research Center survey shows that American religious groups vary widely in views toward abortion. Those who identify as Unitarian Universalist or Jewish were more supportive of abortion rights than those identifying as Mormon or Southern Baptist. There were instances where the views of a church's members didn't align with its teachings on abortion. For instance, while the Roman Catholic Church is an outspoken critic of abortion, U.S. Catholics were divided on the issue, with 48% supportive of legal abortion and 47% opposed. Lawmakers in Egypt are considering legislation to make atheism illegal. The bill, which was proposed in December 2017, would make it illegal to not have a belief in God even if someone does not talk about it. Amro Hamrush, the head of the Parliament's Committee on Religion, stated, The phenomenon of atheism is being promoted in society as freedom of belief when this is totally wrong, when he introduced the bill. In secular event news, the newly launched Milwaukee Humanists organization will be hosting their inaugural event, Brew City Benefit, on Saturday, April 7, 2018. All proceeds from this event will benefit the Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network and help create a new Milwaukee Humanists group. The event will feature appearances by Seth Andrews, Alex Jules, Callie Wright, and Thomas Smith. Find Milwaukee Humanists on Facebook and Twitter and follow them for event updates. The Atheist Underground is a public service brought to you by the Intellectual Transit Authority. Moving your mind to places it was too weak to go by itself. Look for Atheist Underground on Patreon.com. The fare is only a dollar. Do pay the fare at Patreon.com. I'd like to thank our sponsors, Kenosha Racine Atheists and Freethinkers, Milwaukee Humanists, Free Thought Alliance Midwest, Freedom From Religion Foundation Southeast Wisconsin, and Smartass Atheist Guild. Look for Smartass Atheist Guild on Facebook. That's all for Humanistopolis. Please join us again. We will have the finale of the circumcision story, Missing Pieces. You guessed it. It's called The Shaft. Welcome to the underground. Next stop, Rational City. Rational City is next. <laughs>